0: You are now listening to glowing older the podcast that goes deep with the experts shaping senior living brought to you by connected living, the leading senior living communication platform, offering user-friendly mobile apps, smart home tech, digital signage and Timmy robots and link home therapy, the leading provider of physical occupational and speech therapy in senior living delivering turnkey Person centered services to increase census and resident satisfaction.
1: Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation and in senior living. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm absolutely delighted to be here today with Jody Holtzman, Senior Managing Partner at Longevity Venture Advisors. Welcome to the program, Jody. Hi, Nancy. Pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you. Can you tell us about your background and how you got started consulting in aging services and entering the longevity market?
0: So I started in the, in the aging field um, in uh, the summer of 2005, and that was preceded uh, by a 20-year career in different areas of, uh, of strategy consulting. And one of the areas that I uh, have a specialty in and at that time was focused on was competitive intelligence. And I was originally brought into AARP to build their first competitive intelligence group. Um, and from there, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is uh, history. So for the last uh, 16, 17 years, I've, uh, I've been in various aspects of, of the aging field.
1: Well, I know you were integral in um AARP strategy. So um, tell us about your time there and and what you what strikes you as remarkable about um being there at that time.
0: Yeah, I I don't know, I don't know uh uh what what was remarkable. <laughs> uh it, it except that I had a, a couple of uh bosses uh and a CEO when I first started that um really just gave me an incredibly long leash to take initiative and build things that I thought would strengthen the organization's ability to achieve its mission, which at the time was defined as helping everyone age with with dignity. And uh, it was a particular phrase that's escaping me at the the moment. But I was brought in uh, in this competitive intelligence role, and the response you know, when I would tell people about this new gig was, you know, who does AARP compete with? I mean, it was like a non sequitur. People didn't get it. And uh, it was, it was really good to get that that pushback because what it forced me to do was to figure out what the competitive environment is for, for AARP. And not only does it have a competitor, it has hundreds of competitors. So this allowed me to look at the entire aging landscape and, you know, and AARP's, uh position and role and influence, uh, you know, within it. Um, after about 15 months, I was asked to uh, run uh, the research group, which I rebranded. It had been uh, called Knowledge Management, which was a fad in the, in the early 90s, uh, a very technology-driven fad. Um, and we really didn't do knowledge management. But anyway, I rebranded it as, as research and strategic analysis, which was functionally precisely what the group did. And that was a group, when I first took it over, of 95 people in seven different departments. And it didn't even include the public policy research that the Public Policy Institute, a separate organization uh, that was originally started by John Rother Uh, at AARP initiated. And we were in the market every day in all 50 states and three territories conducting different types of research to understand both the realities of life of older Americans and also their opinions. And so, you know, just being on both the front end of that work and then on the receiving end of, of the insights uh, it was a great learning experience and you know to really be emerged and submerged in in the space. Uh, as most organizations, ARP uh, also with a change at the top, you know started to you know think about new areas to move into. and in 2009, uh, a new CEO, Barry Rand, Uh, came in replacing Bill Novelli, uh, who's actually at at Georgetown and still doing great work. Um, And Barry brought in McKinsey, they did a reorg, and they identified a need for a a new role, uh, which was uh, the SVP of thought leadership. And I was asked to uh, create the first thought leadership program. So that's a real struggle, because it's not like AARP didn't have thought leaders. Uh, it did and does, uh, but it was in areas that you would expect uh, a nonprofit in, a, uh, in the aging field to be focused on, deep, deep knowledge of uh, the entitlement programs of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the public policy behind that. But what became clear was that there was a, a part of the world that uh, the organization did not fully appreciate as an opportunity to leverage in order to have even greater impact in improving the quality of life for all as we age. That, that's the uh, the phrase of the mission. And <laughs> and, um, and and so that uh, led to trying to figure out who could we, um motivate in the marketplace to do things for their own profit driven goals that objectively were aligned with the mission of AARP and where that led us first was the industry vertical of healthcare because um you know it it's uh it's it's really hard to be in healthcare and not realize what the demographics of health are. You know, doctors see it every day, hospitals see it every day, insurance companies are fully aware of it. And um, and so that that was one aspect. And then the other, this was also at the time when mission investing as a concept was really starting to take off, built on. Uh, the work of organizations organizations like Ashoka and Accion, uh, which I had actually uh, done work for around microfinancing strategy, work for them uh, previously. Um, and so, leveraging the market for social purpose, there was a big discussion going on, but it had not yet reached AARP. And so, our team, uh, you know, helped to do that. But it was really uh, a, a challenge because, you know, if you think there, were, there are aging jokes and AARP jokes today, it was even more the case back then. So, you know, we reached out to the innovation ecosystem. And I remember the first year that uh, we sponsored the annual event of the National Cap- uh, Venture Capital Association. Um, half the people that got on stage who were uh, eligible for AERP membership, could not control themselves but to tell an old joke or an AERP joke. It, it was really mm. quite quite amazing. And then at the end of the event, the organizers came up to me and they said, so this was great. You know, you're going to sponsor next year also. And I'm thinking, listen, all day long we've been taking this abuse. <laughs> <laughs> And and you want me to come back for more? And I said, and why would I do that? And they said, because everybody's talking about you. And my message to them was uh, around a campaign that we created called What's Your 50 Plus Strategy? And the next thing that happened was they asked me to write an article for uh venture capital review which is the the journal of uh the national venture capital association at least it was in around 2011 2012 and um and then the, the following year they asked me to write another article um and what those articles did was just basically say this is an opportunity one that's too big to ignore but we had to come up with uh, messaging that really spoke to the interests of this audience. I mean, in that regard, marketing 101, know your audience, know what the hooks are. And so the message was, what's your 50 plus strategy? And that we asked them to add that, you know, when when you want people to change behavior, you have to make it easy for them. And so What we asked was that all they do, these venture capitalists, was add that question, what's your 50-plus strategy, to their list of diligence questions when an entrepreneur got in front of them. And I said, that question alone and the answer to it will tell you tons about the person you are speaking with and whether or not they are somebody you want to invest in. Because if they haven't a clue about the biggest demographic wave changing the marketplace in the history of mankind, well, maybe that's not somebody you want to invest in. The other question was, why would you leave money? uh, This is the question you never want to get, you venture capitalists. The question you never want to get from your own limited partners, your investors, uh, and your boards, is why did you leave money on the table for ignoring the only humongous growth market that exists? Well, those questions sparked interest. And like in every other area, you have early adopters. And we had people in VCs that started coming to us and working with us, and then us working with them. So, uh, that kind of morphed the, the the thought leadership group into the market innovation group, of which I was also the SVP. So th- those were all really um, new things at AERP, but actually more significantly, they were new things in the market.
1: Right. And um, it's a great segue into um, your, you know, it answers the question, why are you an expertise in venture capital and the longevity market? So what is your co- your current company, Longevity Venture Advisors? What, what kind of services do you provide and what kind of companies do you work with? Tell us a bit about that.
0: So uh, we work with companies o- of all sizes. good chunk of them are, are early stage uh, companies who are looking for advice, who are looking for door opening, who are looking uh, to help raise capital um i have an affiliation with a uh, uh, an investment bank that's focused on uh, digital health called matchpoint partners which uh through which i can and help companies raise capital um they actually do the actual capital raising i help on the strategy side um and then i work with larger companies uh corporate venture capital around uh, helping them uh design their investment theses um uh, larger companies around just general innovation in in um, in, uh, in in a, in the aging field, particularly around around health. So we're advisors, uh, you know, short and simple. And they, that may take the form of being on advisory boards or boards of directors, or it may take the form of kind of more traditional uh, consulting type projects.
1: So you're out there um, with all these exciting projects. So I want to go and talk in broad strokes for a minute about some of your favorite innovations in um, whether it's age tech, senior housing, aging services, what's turning you on these days?
0: So, uh, you know, there are a couple of things broadly that I find are uh, both exciting uh, as well as, you know, the beginning of trends. And you know, I, I part of my career in strategy. I was a futurist with with the Nesbitt Group, and we were, would always try to distinguish between what was a fad. Something that popped and got a lot of excitement and energy, but kind of you know, br- you know, burnt burnt bright and then you know disappeared versus a sustainable trend. And I think that both technologically as well as in orientation, we're starting to see uh some really exciting changes that are happening in the market um, that speak to longer-term trends that are going to have even greater impact. Uh, You know, going forward Um, on the technology side, it's all about voice, Um, you know, for many, many years. I'm a Trekkie. uh, That being somebody (laughs) who's, uh, you know, uh, uh, a a, a very happy watcher of all the Star Trek uh, series and uh, going back to, uh, you know, uh, 1965 and, and the original. Uh, Which was groundbreaking on so many levels, both, you know, I mean, Roddenberry had this incredible insight as a science fiction writer about the interface between people and technology and how to, to eliminate friction. In that interface, and it was all about voice. And so you, you know, you saw the first, uh, you know, Bluetooth communicators. And Lieutenant Uhuru's ear, she had that big Bluetooth <laughs> thing. Um, you had the communicators and the badges that you know that 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 people uh, wore. And then, you know, moving forward to Star Trek: Next Generation, you really had voice as the um, mechanism. For tapping uh, the computer of the spaceship, uh, as well as enabling um, things enabled by AI and machine learning, and, and all those great things, uh, of course, you know, hundreds and if not a thousand years in the future. So uh, I always joke, you know, that I want to put people on the bridge of the Enterprise, right? So that when you speak. It it, things happen. Right. So what we've seen is this evolution since uh, the uh, Amazon Echo and Alexa, which, you know, um, I I once heard the SVP of that team that developed uh, Alexa speak. And uh, like me, his starting point, although he executed it and had the means to do it, his starting point was Star Trek. That was the mental model they had for uh, for Alexa. I was uh, actually thrilled it when I heard that. But Alexa, you know, is already technologically, you know, old um still has great uh you know uh benefits as well as you know Google home and, and all these others. Um, but we've seen that develop, you know with the addition of AI and machine learning to products like Leq, uh, which is um, a um, AI driven robotic companion that, uh, was created by an Israeli company called Intuition Robotics, and full, uh, you know, transparency. I'm an advisor uh, to the company. Leq is is fascinating because it is genuinely proactive, and so Leq observes you. And you know, when when the company was first starting, one of the things we wanted to to learn was, you know, what did people view this as creepy? That this machine is watching you all the time. And the research showed that it wasn't. And what has happened fast forward is to demonstrate that LEQ has been an incredibly successful in particularly helping with isolation, you know, and um, and loneliness. Um, and now the company is moving whole hog into, into healthcare. So voice is, is, uh, is one thing I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, another thing I'm really excited about is, is two areas or three areas where there's a changing orientation, uh, in, uh, in, in health broadly, It's this broadening definition of social determinants of health and kind of this increasingly holistic view of health and what's needed to achieve it. So once you start to accept the premise of social determinants of health, that um, your zip code is more important than your genetic code. Um, and you've introduced this concept of geography and place, well, then the question is, what happens in that place, that neighborhood, that community, that town, that contributes or is a barrier to health? And um, it's not about care. It's about being healthy. And so as that has shifted, you've also seen um, Medicare respond to that by expanding beyond the traditionally narrowly defined medical health types of things for which it reimburses for services. And so we've started to see non-traditionally medical things like transportation, for example, um, you know, you can't get to the doctor if you don't have transportation. Well, that seems to be something that would be a determinant of one's health. Um, so we're starting to see an expansion of, of that. And then within the aging field itself, there's uh, one is a growing recognition at least amongst the the folks that I, uh uh interact with colleagues in, in Nexus Insights and others, and the recognition of ageism in the field of aging. And um one of the uh my favorite um uh kind of terms that, that's been coined uh is, is kind of shifting from the patient slash customer to citizen and introducing this you know, recognition that, that people have to have agency, that they have to have the means by which they take control, if not of their whole life as they age, uh, but certainly retain control of as much of their lives as possible. And in the community, particularly in senior living, um, within the community, to play an active role in determining what, what goes on right And so you see you know uh you know philosophically you know in this field bill thomas was you know clearly a, uh, a, a standard bearer and and uh, trailblazer uh with the eden alternative and and other initiatives of his and and the uh you know kind of the customer to citizen uh reorientation you know that was coined by uh jill Vitali Austin. Uh, who's the ceo of uh, christian living communities and had previously been at, at the eden alternative so she brought you know to her more recent job you know that that kind of uh, a, a spin and I, I would say the last thing i'm excited about is as we start to realize that, the need for older people—people people talk about aging in place as if it's a goal, and it is. People want to stay in their homes, whether they're, you know, standalone homes or or uh, or, or apartments. But um, as you know, we we we've looked at at this. The reality is is that most people do stay in their homes, and so in senior living. You know, combined between nursing homes and assisted living and independent living, you know, you're 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 talking, you know, maybe five million people total, maybe six, seven max. Let's even call it 10 million. Well, that's 10 million out of 50 million people over 65. So where is the larger societal need? It is for that. uh 40 to 45 million people today who live in their homes and in many regards need different degrees of assistance, not care necessarily, although there's a chunk that do, you know, people, some people just need companionship. Some people just need a ride to the grocery store. Some people just, you know, want to see people in, in passing and smile, you know, kind of those weak relationships. And the thing I'm excited about is that we're now at a point where technology, entrepreneurship, and and a growing recognition that this market is too big to ignore by a host of folks, from the payers to the providers uh, to the entrepreneurs to the investors, that you can finally see that the building blocks of actually serving those people in their homes, bringing community, pop-up community where it doesn't exist, bringing services where they don't exist, But that is all increasingly being enabled. And that I find is most exciting because now we're really talking about, you know, society wide impact.
1: So um, you are obviously an industry um, advisor and speaker, and I listened to your Nick talk. And um, one of the things that that you are a proponent of is um, sexual rights of older adults. And um, the ageism that goes along with some of these conversations. Um, you shared some scary statistics with me, Jody. Um, so, how um, how can this change, and and where are we at with this?
0: So, sex is the unspoken social determinant of health. Right. It's when you when you just look at the benefits of of sex and a healthy sexual relationship. It's staying physically active, keeping the mind active and sharp. It encourages social connections. It adds excitement and joy to one's life. It fights isolation and depression, uh, strengthens memory and cognitive function, reduces stress, blood pressure, heart attacks, and certain cancers, strengthens the immune system, increases metabolism, increases, you know, provides for human touch, an, an, an essential thing that people, human beings need from the time they're babies, and increases longevity. So if you were just told you could do one thing and achieve all of those things, which at the end of the day leads to somebody being healthier, you'd say, yeah, what's the pill for that? And the pill is sex. And however, you know, in the um, establishment of um, uh, Medicare Part D, which provided drug coverage, and expanded Medicare to provide uh, drug coverage, to reimburse for drug coverage. Um, you know, one of the things that was not allowed were um, you know medications for uh, erectile dysfunction and vaginal dryness. And it became this stupid, you know, conversation. Oh no, you know, these old people having sex. We're not going <laughs> to, you know, contribute to that. I mean, good God, you know, who who would want that? um and uh, i mean that's obviously an exaggeration but it, and not not all that much uh you, you know we're not paying for boner pills you know i mean that kind of nonsense and um and to this day you know that's an out, that's out of pocket uh there are some things you can you, you know get get covered uh so it's not completely black and white but for the most part you know um it's it's not getting covered and it, it is so narrow and it is so silly. Um, but it also reflects the, the schizophrenia, uh, you know, in American culture around sex. I mean, it's everywhere in your face. And at the same time, it's like, nah, we don't do that. We don't want older people doing that. And so, um, you know, for me in the in my, uh, in my Nick talk, it seems to me that those communities, in addition, one of the areas of giving people agency is to create opportunity, uh, you know, for uh, re- budding relationships. Now, you have gender realities and and, and whatnot, but, uh, you know, just that women live longer than, than men. They're typically stronger in most regards. But... Uh, encouraging that, you know, and I had this line in the Nick talk, you know, make make the condoms and, and the lubricants available. And um, it seems to me that, that that's a starting point, right? It's it's make it easy, right? If you want to give people agency, make it easy. If you want to initiate behavioral change, make it easy. Uh, small steps, don't do a lot of things. Where What's the one thing that's kind of a You know, a breakthrough thing, Um, you know, and um, unfortunately, I think even in the aging field, there's too much prudishness, uh, you know, and it goes with this, we're going to help you uh, orientation. Not that there aren't people who are in need of a helping hand and for that level of help, but it is a minority of people over 65.
1: Well, and in a senior living environment, you can just see the inherent um, ageism. And in we know better than you, and you might get out of control. And you know, we, you know, there's this, this like it's there's this like risk management thing going on in it, right?
0: And it's like treating people like you know they're teenagers, which on yeah. the one hand is kind of you know for the people to have that mindset seems to me is pretty good, but um, but it's like we're going to prevent. Right. We're not going to allow. And it's like, you know, it's like just get rid of those barriers. I understand liabilities, you know, legal liabilities and all that kind of stuff. But there's got to be a happy medium here, uh, you know, that kind of just allows people to do what comes naturally.
1: Exactly. Well, I know that I've been uh, grilling you on all your the things that get you excited in age tech and housing and services. But what gets you personally most excited these days?
0: Well, aside from, uh, you know, any new music from Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> uh, you know, and continuing to play basketball, which transports me out of my current reality on any given day I, I I really do think it's it's this changing view of 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 health and this combination this nexus of of health and technology and this shift it's it's when you put all those things together that you know you can really see uh, a, a changing, uh, changing possibilities and i will say you know and and this comes down to even uh you know recent changing you know proposals for additional things added to uh to medicare uh particularly uh dental coverage even more than vision um you know I, one of the statistics in the times new york times article this weekend what you know was that uh half of people over 65 in the last year did not visit a dentist and one fifth, 20% don't have their natural teeth. Wow. That to me is a scary statistic. And wow. uh and talk about things that just it impacts your life in negative ways, everything from pain to you know not wanting to show missing teeth and the emotional yeah. toll that, that that takes and it takes on 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 relationships that you don't end up having, uh, because of embarrassment or whatever, or you're, you know, it forces you to isolate, you know, um, so that to me is, is, you know, it's slow. It's not as fast as it needs to be. Um, but if you look at the trajectory, I think that's, you know, in the right direction. That's, that's a good thing.
1: Well, especially if you look at the relationship between poor oral health and heart disease, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, it's like, it's the most basic form of wellness that, that I can think of one of them (laughs) for sure.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and, and we also have dentists, I mean, you know, (laughs) as a group, dentists are responsible. The ADA, you know, was responsible for keeping dental services out of Medicare back in 1965. I mean, the AMA opposed it also, uh, as I recall, um, you know, and now the ADA is opposing this, you know, this latest, uh, expansion. They want a more targeted, uh, to be fair to them, they want a more targeted benefit, uh, you know, that's more focused on, on lower income, uh, folks. Um, but those are the cultural barriers. And, you know, I think we have to ask a question, you know, what kind of society do we want to live in, you know, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, yeah, you know, we, the Americans, we we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that pursuit of happiness is is based on life and liberty. Well, you can't have that unless you're alive, and you're healthy. And don't we want people who are not just, you know, healthy from a medical sense, but emotionally healthy? Uh, hel- have healthy, you know, community relationships with their neighbors, etc. I mean, think of the best small towns in America um, and the qualities of life that make living there, uh, you know, a plus for all generations. Um, don't we want to expand that and extend that, you know, everywhere? And um, some of that can be done without technology and a lot of it will require technology and it's going to require services not provided by government. uh, but it's also going to, you know, require expanded coverage, uh, you know, and services uh, reimbursed for by government. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, you can look over the horizon and see a better future. Um, we, we, we should all grab that golden ring.
1: Yeah, I think it it also includes a more fluid vision of what aging in place is. Somebody said to me recently like you know aging in place is I could be going on a cruise ship for a year. <laughs> That's my <Yeah>. home, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: And actually there's an entrepreneur, I am blanking on his name that I met a couple of years ago, uh who started a company where you 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 buy basically a cabin on a ship. Yeah. And, you know, wow. I mean, not my thing, but, you know, a lot of people like cruises, you know, and do them every year and this and that. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's almost like it's and it's not just a timeshare. I think it's more like, you know, independent living kind of kind of
1: thing. Well, so. I guess you, you can meet a lot of different people. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just don't go out in a storm.
1: Yeah, and don't go out right now in COVID, but um, that's a whole. Or Ida. (laughs) Yeah, really. Uh, Well, um, Jody, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's such a pleasure always to speak with you.
0: Same here, Nancy. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast.